0: Good morning, church. Man, so good to see everyone here this afternoon. For those of you who are visiting with us, you're probably wondering why there's so few. Uh, Normally, we have a lot more than this, but we did have an earlier service at 645. We have a sunrise service every year for Easter, and the parking lot was slammed full. It was an amazing worship and an amazing day, and so... Um, We're just glad that you guys can be here for the 1030 worship as well. And for those of you who are visiting, uh, let me just kind of back up and tell you what we've been going through over the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about how Jesus was betrayed and He was abandoned and how He was even denied by those who were closest to Him. We talked about how He was falsely accused severely beaten, and then He was put to death on a cross. And He did that because of His great love for you and me, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. You see, Jesus didn't just die for us, He died in our stead. He took our place. He took the punishment for our sins. But here's the good news. And this is what I told the group at 6.45 this morning. Here's the good news. That's only half the story. So if you've got your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, But very early in the morning the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus as they stood there puzzled two men suddenly appeared clothed in dazzling robe the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground then the men asked why are you looking why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive he isn't here he is risen from the dead Remember what He told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that He would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that He had said this. Okay, so let's stop right there just for a few minutes. After Jesus is crucified... There was this guy by the name of Joseph from Arimathea and he comes and he takes down the body of Jesus from the cross and he actually places him in his own personal tomb. And then he and some others, they began to very quickly prepare the body of Jesus because this, this all took place on Friday The Sabbath was approaching very quickly and they wanted to get everything done so that they could obey God's command for rest. Well, they finish up very quickly on Friday. And then on Saturday, they do nothing. And then on Sunday morning, as we just read, some of these women, they start talking about going back to the tomb and taking with them some with them some spices to prepare the body of Jesus. And, and really that was twofold. One, they did this for the purpose of embalming the body, the head, the face. But then also it would almost be like today us taking flowers to a gravesite. We do that to show respect and to show love for the person who's passed away. And, and so here are these ladies, and they get together, and they're going to go and they're going to add these spices, and they walk up to the tomb, and there's no body. And then suddenly, boom, these two beings appear, and their, their clothing is glowing. And they just fall on their faces. These ladies, they're absolutely terrified. And then one of the beings speaks and says, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He is risen. Don't you remember what Jesus told you while you were in Galilee that He had to suffer and He had to die? And then on the third day, He would rise from the grave. And this being or this angel looks at these ladies and basically asks them, why aren't you expecting this? This is exactly what Jesus told you was going to happen. And so these ladies, man, they take off to tell the other disciples. Let's pick up now in chapter 24 and let's start reading in verse 9. So they rush back from the tomb to tell his 11 to tell His eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and he ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again and wondered what had happened. Now i got to tell you, this particular text really surprises me. I, I don't know about you. I mean, you have these women and they go running back to the disciples. Okay, These are, these are the followers of Jesus. These, these are the guys who have been with Jesus for the last three years. And they go running back, telling them everything that had happened. We went to the tomb, and there were these two angels, and they told us that Jesus wasn't here, that he had risen from the grave. And these guys look at each other, and they say, this is nonsense. In fact, the particular phrase that's used here in the the Greek means... A fairy tale. This is is just a fairy tale. These these things can't happen. These these ladies are are talking like they're crazy. And here's the thing. This is is what blows me away. Again, this is the disciples. Well, Peter, he jumps up and he runs to the tomb because he wants to see all this for himself. And he gets to the tomb and there is the linen cloth that they had wrapped Jesus in. And he's examining it, and he's he's starting to wonder to himself, what in the world has has happened here? In other words, Peter didn't even believe it. And that's one of the things that absolutely puzzles me. Because, uh, again, this is is Peter. It's not like you and I. Like, if you and I were... At the the grave of a loved one who has passed away, and and maybe we're laying some flowers, paying our respects, and someone comes up behind us and says, what are you doing here? They're not here any longer. They've they've risen from the grave. You and I, what would we we say? You're, You're crazy. You've lost your mind. That can't happen. But this is not us. This is the disciples. This is Peter. And you just want to say, Peter, are you kidding me? I mean, don't don't you remember the time when you and James and John and Jesus, you you went up on this mountain. And and when Jesus gets up on the mountain, remember how his whole body began to glow. And, And these guys, these two guys who'd been dead for years, Elijah and Moses, they appear and they're talking to Jesus and then the Father from heaven speaks. This is my beloved son, and who I'm well pleased. And, and don't you remember, Peter, you and James and John, y'all were so terrified that you just fell on your faces. Don't you remember, Peter, when you saw Jesus walk on the water? In fact, Peter, don't you remember? You asked Jesus if you could come to him. And so, man, you step out of the boat and and you start walking towards Jesus. And then remember you began to sing. Can Jesus reached out his hand? He put you back in the boat. Peter, don't you remember seeing Jesus take two fish and five loaves and feed thousands of people? Don't you remember seeing Jesus give sight to the blind and, and, and causing the lame to walk? Don't you remember him healing people of leprosy and casting out demons? And then, and then of all things, Peter, don't, don't you remember when Lazarus had been in the tomb dead for four days? And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And he walks out of that tomb. Don't you remember these things, Peter? Peter? This is Jesus we're talking about. He said He was going to rise from the grave, and yet the disciples and and even Peter himself struggled to believe this. What about you? I was talking to someone after our sunrise service this morning, and they said, you know, as I was sitting there worshiping this morning, thinking about the resurrection... This individual said several things crossed my mind, but he said at one point, he said as we began to talk about the resurrection story, he said I began to ask myself the question, do I really believe this? Let me ask you this morning, do you believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the grave? And you may say, well, Slate, I believe He was a good man, and, and I definitely believe he's, He taught some amazing things, and, and I, I definitely believe that He died for my sins. But come on, Slate, resurrection, that just can't happen. But besides, what does it even matter? Listen to me this morning. Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus isn't just missing the last chapter, it's missing the whole story. In fact, Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 25, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. If you're taking notes with me, write this down this morning. If the tomb is empty, then Christianity is empty. It's that simple. That's why the critics of Christianity from the very beginning have tried to disprove. The resurrection. Now, there's there's three things that they can't deny. There's three things that all of us, whether we're friends or foe of Christianity, we all have to agree on. First of all, Jesus of Nazareth, this amazing rabbi, was crucified by the Romans. We all have to agree, agree on that. It's it's part of history. Secondly, we all have to agree that the Romans took great effort and precaution in making sure that his tomb was sealed. We talked about this at the sunrise service this morning, how Pilate made sure that there was a heavy stone. It weighed between one and two tons. Then he surrounded it with guards and he sealed off that tomb. And and when, when he made that seal for the tomb, what he was saying is, if anyone tampers with the body of Jesus and the contents that are found in that tomb, then they will be put to death. And so the Romans went to great length to make sure that nothing would happen to the body of Jesus But then number three, we all have to agree that the body's missing. And the question is, what happened to it? You know, I believe to be a Christian definitely means that we have to live by faith, not by sight. But I don't believe that to live by faith, we have to just take out our brains, right? I don't believe that faith means that we have to stop using our head and simply walk walk by our heart. In fact, what I want to do this morning is I want us to examine the evidence. Because I know that if Peter and the disciples, those who had actually been around back there, they they had been with Jesus for three years. They had seen all the miracles that Jesus had performed. If they struggled in their faith, if they struggled to believe at one time, then I would dare say that there may be some or there may be some of you watching this morning who may be struggling to believe. And so what I want to do is I want to ask... What is the best and most credible explanation for what happened to the body of Jesus? Now, we'll start right here. Some have tried to say, well, maybe the body's not missing at all. There have been those who have have said, well, you know, maybe they just went to the wrong tomb. And and that causes us to ask, do we really believe that Joseph from Arimathea didn't know where his own personal tomb was? Don't think so. But also, think about this. If they simply just went to the wrong tomb, then the Jews could go to the right tomb, roll back the stone, produce the body of Jesus... And Christianity dies forever, but they didn't. In fact, no ancient Christian or secular writer argues that the body is missing from the right tomb. They all admit from the very beginning the body of Jesus is missing and the question is, what happened to it? Well, skeptics throw out three basic theories. We're going to talk about these very quickly this morning. First of all, maybe the Jews, the enemies of Jesus, stole the body. Of course, the question is, why would they want to do that? Why would, what would their motive be? Why, why would they want to help start the very thing that they were wanting to stop? They wanted to put an end to Christianity forever, And so if they had stolen the body, the enemies of Jesus, let me tell you something, a long time ago they would have produced it and said, stop preaching and teaching a lie. He's dead. But they didn't. Well, then maybe the disciples stole the body. They stole the body and they started preaching the lie that Jesus raised from the dead. And and this is what... The leading priests and the elders have wanted the people to believe all along. We see this in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 11. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told... The soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while he was sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so that you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but this story has a lot of problems in it. First of all, guards during those days, and we talked about this this morning, had a very big incentive for not falling asleep. It's called death. You see, if you were a part of that 16-member unit that guarded the tomb, if you were caught... Asleep on duty, not only would you, but the rest of the soldiers would immediately be taken out, beaten, and burned alive. You were put to death. Also think about this. What court of law accepts the testimony of people who were asleep? How many of you have ever been to a trial or maybe witnessed a trial on television where the lawyer stood up and asked one of the witnesses, okay, so tell me what you saw while you were asleep. Here's another one for you. How did the disciples sneak past the guards, these Roman killing machines, roll back that heavy stone, carry out the body of Jesus, and no one wakes up? But here's the biggest problem of all. What did the disciples gain in stealing the body of Jesus? Did they get fame? Fortune? Notoriety? Wealth. Now, you, you want me to tell you what the disciples got for teaching? That Jesus rose from the grave. They got kicked out of the synagogue. They got kicked out of their homes. They lost their jobs. They were taken and they were thrown into prison. They were tortured. They were murdered because of what they preached about Jesus. Listen, we've got to understand something very important. People will die for a lie if they think it's true, but people will not die for a lie when they know it's not true. Some of you may remember this guy, Charles Coulson. He played a very important part in the Watergate scandal. He was one of the the ones who actually went to jail for being a part of all that. And after he got out, someone asked him, what did you learn from that whole experience? And this is what he said. He said, I learned to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And they said, well, well, what do you mean? This is is how he explained it. There were only ten of us who knew the truth. We were absolutely devoted to Richard Nixon. We had just helped him win a landslide election. The ugly Asian war was over. We were on the crest of a wave. You can't imagine the power we had. We managed billions of dollars. We could pick up a phone and armies and generals would jump too. We had private planes that would fly us anywhere in the world we wanted to go. We had red-jacketed servants to take care of our every need. We could call the National Art Gallery and priceless pieces of art would be hanging over our desk at a whim. And yet when we started getting pressure to cover up the lie, just ten of us... He said, we couldn't do it. He said, now, there was no threat of execution, just simply embarrassment and maybe some short-term jail time. He said, but we all cracked. Because the human instinct for self-preservation is that strong. Let me say it again. People will die for a lie if they believe it's true, but liars make a Terrible martyr. I can tell you right now, the early Christians didn't go all over the world to be tortured, crucified, burned in oil, to have their skin ripped off, to actually be sawn in two like we read about in the book of Hebrews for a lie that they knew was a lie. Then along the 18th century, another theory came out as to why the body of Jesus was missing. It was called the swoon theory, which says that Jesus had a resuscitation, not an actual resurrection. In other words, they claim that Jesus didn't actually die He just went into a coma and then he woke up and he went and he appeared to his disciples and said, Hey guys, I rose from the grave. And what I challenge you to do is think about everything we talked about over the last couple of weeks. How the Romans flogged Jesus. And we talked about how terrible that was. And and they would beat you to the point of death. They, They couldn't kill you. But they could beat you to the point of death. Then they put Jesus to death by crucifixion. And after he had died on that cross to make sure that he was dead, they took a spear and they lunged it into his side. Then they took him down, wrapped him in grave clothes, put him in a tomb without food or water for three days. Then somehow we're expected to believe that he took off those grave clothes, he rolled back that huge stone that weighed between one and two ton by himself, snuck past the guards, walked several miles, presented himself to the disciples and said, Hey guys, I've raised from the dead. Listen, it takes more faith to believe that than to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Here's my point. Over 2,000 years later, skeptics have failed to produce a credible explanation for the missing body of Jesus. All they can do is simply say, He couldn't have raised from the dead because that just doesn't. Let me ask you another question this morning. What best explains historical Christianity? I mean, how do we explain Christianity becoming a world religion? If you go back to A.D. 35, if you were a betting person, where would you put your money? Would you put it on this little religion called Christianity or would you put it on the big Roman Empire? Which of those two would you say would survive? How do we explain this little religion that gets catapulted all across the whole world by men and women who are ready to die for what they believed? And again, remember, where did it start? Where did Christianity begin? In Jerusalem, the hardest place for it to start, if it wasn't true, because people were still alive. They were witnesses. They could have said, hey, this is not true. And yet we get into Acts chapter 2, verse 24, and this is what we see Peter preaching. But God... Released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grips. One, le- one chapter later, he says in verse 15, he said, You killed the altar of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of these facts. And you have to understand, they name some of these witnesses in their writings. He saw Him. She saw Him. They saw Him. The witnesses were still alive challenging the readers. Look, go back. Check it out for yourselves. We're telling you the truth. Why did they start meeting on the first day of the week? Why was that so special? Why did they put so much emphasis on baptism where you bury someone underwater and then you raise them up and declare that they are now capable of living a brand new life? And what about the the skeptics like James, the brother of Jesus, and Saul who at one point was persecuting Christians? What happened for them to become defenders later on of, of Christianity? to the point to where they themselves were willing to die for it. Why did they suffer persecution and murder gladly? Because they had witnessed a miracle. They had checked the facts for themselves and they saw that it was true, that there is no other explanation that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. You see, at some point it ceases to become a historical issue and it becomes a philosophical issue about whether or not miracles are possible. You see, people say it didn't happen because it can't happen. And and I would agree with you. Naturally speaking, that can't happen. But what we're talking about here is not something natural. We're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about God Himself, through His power, He raised Jesus from the grave. And the evidence for the resurrection is so compelling. In fact, in the book, Case for Christ, I gave this book to someone this week it's, it's written by Lee Strobel. And, and Strobel gives the testimony in this book of Sir Lineal Luck, who was called by Guinness the world's greatest attorney. He had 245 straight murder acquittals. He was also on his spiritual journey... Uh, the same man who was knighted twice by the king or or by Queen Elizabeth, who, who studied the resurrection of Jesus himself, and this is what he concluded. I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is so overwhelming, it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. There was another lawyer by the name of Simon Greenleaf, who studied the resurrection case and he said that if you take all the evidence from the resurrection and you put it in a court of law, you have to believe in the resurrection. In fact, he said there is more historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than there is the existence of Julius Caesar. Think about that for a moment. There is more evidence that points to the resurrection of Jesus, that Julius Caesar ever existed. And so, is the real problem in accepting the resurrection of Jesus a lack of evidence? Or is it a lack of will to bow to the implications of that evidence? I think German theologian, Hammingbird, Had it right when he said the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is so strong that no one would question it, except for two things. First of all, it's very unusual. And secondly, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. And I think for many people, that's the problem. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? If you do, you have to change the way you live. And I think that's the real problem. It's it's not an intellectual thing. It's it's a moral thing. Are we willing to surrender to Jesus? And here's what we have to realize. If the tomb surrender to Jesus, then guess what? We must. This morning, I... Will lead us in prayer. And again, I am so glad to see so many of you here this morning. And I want to pray for those of you who are online today as well. If there's anyone in our audience or if there's anyone online who would like to know more about Jesus, I'd love to tell you. You can reach out to me after services or or you can call me and, and, and reach out to me online. But we'd love to tell you about Jesus. How He not only died in your place, but how He rose from the grave. And it's through His death, burial, and resurrection that we are made right with God. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about how baptism symbolizes all of that. As we go down into the water, we're dying to ourselves. We're dying to our sins. And then, just like Jesus rose from the grave, we come up out of that water raised to a new life and there may be someone who needs to be baptized today or there may be someone here who just needs to repent you're a child of God maybe you've been uh, waning in your faith and and maybe it's time for you to turn away from whatever you're struggling with and, and look to the cross look to Jesus and so let's pray Father, we just come before you and we thank you so much for Jesus. We'd be lost without you. Father, we just pray that you'll continue to strengthen our faith. I know that we live in a world that tells us this can't happen, this isn't real. But Father, we know that with, any, with anything, with you, it's, it's possible. You can do anything, and and we believe. And and if there's someone who doesn't believe, I, I pray that in some way you will help them to believe today that you made that possible. Father, we thank you for being able to let go of our past because of the sacrifice that was made for those sins. Father, we thank you for the power to be able to live new lives. You've, you've promised us that. That as Christians, the same power that you use to raise Jesus from the dead, you've given to us to help us overcome sin. And Father, we thank you for the hope and the assurance that we have because of Jesus. Looking forward to one day when we're going to be with you totally transformed, but yet, Father, also the assurance that we can be transformed today. But, Father, we know the best is yet to come. We're so grateful for that. We can't wait to be with you, and we just thank you for making that way possible. Father, if there's anyone here today who needs to know more about you, If there's anyone here today who needs to give their life to you, Father, help us to be able to minister to them and help them in whatever way we can. And Father, we just pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.